You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Habercroft. Hey everybody, welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee. Joining me in Southampton, England is our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. And Jonathan, we are here to introduce everyone to the teams participating in the men's event at the 2022 Beijing Olympics. Yes, we are. This event's I don't know how to. I think this event has some clear front runners. I'll say that. I agree, and not, I think that there's clear divide between the top teams and the rest of the field. I won't say the bottom of the field because it's the Olympics. You have to go through a lot just to get there. But I think that there is a clear divide, and some of those teams at the top of the divide are fighting for a place in curling history really to be maybe known as the best men's player of all time if a couple of these uh if a couple of these teams manage to win gold in this event you could have a serious argument as best men's player of all time and here's here's a question is that it's not a trivia question although it could be one is this the first time the men's field has had two defending gold medalists in it oh you had to ask me that uh i don't know think so someone can correct us on social media if we're wrong so jonathan let's get right into the teams and we will we will go alphabetically and we will start with team canada they will be skipped by brad gushu gushu and his third mark nichols shot into curling fame way back in 2006 when I first started watching curling uh, with their breakout gold medal performance at the Torino Olympics. Ten years ago, they added Brett Gallant and lead Jeff Walker, and they have been one of the most dominant teams in curling ever since. Uh, their reputation is to win games through superior rock placement. And I'll, Jonathan, when we get to you, I'll let you explain what that means uh, and force opponents into unforced errors. Uh, they wear their opponents down and build pressure over the course of a game uh, to beat them. And they've been one of the most successful teams. They've won three Briars, which is the Canadian champ- men's championship, uh, I believe, just in the last like five years. Right, Jonathan? Yeah, they've been dominant. Well, they've been dominant for a long time. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, I, so in 2006, when they won, it was a surprise. They were they were kind of famously dubbed by Jeff Stoughton at the Canadian Olympic Trials, Team No Chance. At that point, Brad Gushu and, and Mark Nichols were very young, but they partnered up with uh, a KG veteran and Russ Howard, who is now the color commentator on TSN, Canada's curling coverage. But um, since then, Brad, Brad has kind of taken that early breakout performance and turned himself into one of the best curlers ever. Him and Mark Nichols are probably one of the most successful back-end partnerships ever in curling. Um, so rock placement. All right, so if you want to sound, so if you're listening to this and you're newish to curling and you want to kind of sound really smart and be pretentious around your other friends who are new to curling, just go, oh, what fantastic rock placement. Just kind of go on and on <laughs> about it. Um, basically, it's a term that that fancy curling nerds like myself like to use for 
not just putting, not just making the shot you called for, but putting the stone in a position that then gives you advantageous angles throughout the end. So really, Brad Gushu is really smart about what the angles are and how to use those angles to force opponents into unforced errors and to set up shots later on in the end. And so if you kind of watch closely, he's extremely precise with his calls. They're actually, and I'd say one of the things that's nice about watching curling is that you hear everyone mic'd up. And and Brad and Mark Nichols in particular are always talking very specifically about if we put it here versus if we put it over there. And often the here and the there is about a foot apart. And they're very careful about how they manage it. And their sweepers are very good judges to put it exactly in that spot. So their reputation is being a very precise team and also a very clinical team in the sense that they just don't make mistakes and they wear you down. They're perhaps a bit less spectacular. So in Canadian curling, one of the teams they had to get to to get get here, it would be like Kevin Cooey is kind of known for the high, highlight reel shot. Brad Gushu is certainly capable of pulling those off too, but they're far more likely to win through just clinical control of the game, good strategy, fine positioning, making very few mistakes, and just kind of consistently wearing their opponents down and taking away their options. And so we talked about teams jockeying for kind of their spot in history. If they win this tournament, and they will be one of the favorites going in, then Brad Gushu would have two Olympic gold medals, three Briar championships, a world gold, a world silver medal, and 11 what we call grand slams. There's a, there are a certain number of grand slam, what we refer to as grand slam events on the world curling tour. And he would have 11 grand slam titles. Where would that put him in history among men's players if they were to win this event? He would be pretty close to the top. It would be between him and Kevin Martin, probably, if we're kind of talking in the Olympic era. Kevin Martin won the 2010 Olympic gold medal. He won the 2010 Olympic gold medal. He also won a silver medal in 2002. So Gushu would be ahead of Kevin Martin on the gold front. Kevin Martin would still have one more briar, and he would have seven more Grand Slams. So, but Brad Gushu's in his early 40s. I think it's 50-50 if he hangs it up, if he wins it here. I could see him just going. I could see him going. I mean, if he wanted to, he could probably play for another decade and still be a dominant skip in Canadian curling, no problem, and probably make a lot of money doing that. But maybe he's he's at the point he's got a young family and doesn't feel like he's got anything more to do, and he could walk away, and he'd certainly be in that conversation. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I think then then it just becomes a matter of people in the curling lounge arguing over beers who is better. (laughs) They'll definitely be one of the favorites. Give us a reason they won't win. Well, reason number one is one of the teams here beat them in 2018 at the Worlds when I was there, and that's Nicholas Adin. And I think he'll have something to say. Gushu also does not have a great record against um, uh, Bruce Moet so far. So I think there's something like 42 and two or something this season so far, but their losses have been against Adin and Moet. They've got taken losses against Adin and Moet. So those those teams seem to be, I wouldn't say they're kryptonite, but teams that can certainly threaten them. So I don't say it's a slam dunk. Up next is China, who will be skipped by Ma Xiu Ue with Zhou Chown as third. Ma is an interesting selection as he has only represented China once outside of juniors in university. 
That came in 2019 when he skipped a Chinese men's team at the Curling World Cup stop in Jönköping, Sweden. There, his team, which included Chinese mixed doubles representative Ling Ji, went 1-5 with their lone win coming against Norway and Stefan Wallstad. Zhou skipped China at the last two world championships, where they went a combined 4-21. He also skipped China at the 2019 Pacific Asia Championships, where they were a disappointing third behind Korea and Japan. The Chinese men's program has kind of lagged behind the women's program, and they did not qualify for the 2018 Olympics, and their highest world's finish since 2008 has been fifth place. Yep, that's true. I will say this, that in 2014, the Chinese, everyone kind of wrote off the Chinese team for these same reasons, and the Chinese men's team put together a pretty good run there, and were, I think, in the battling it out in the tiebreaker at the end of the week. Uh, they also have a home ice advantage, if you will. Uh, I, the, what, I'll say this, that the historically European and North American teams have not performed as well in Asian championships, both worlds and Olympics. Uh, there seems to be some, some, whether it's culture shock, whether it's jet lag, there seems to be a little bit of an underperformance there. So those are kind of the cases or scenarios where I can see China kind of catching people off guard. The other thing is because they haven't played many people, that puts them at a bit of a disadvantage. But they, if they play slightly unorthodox strategy or make slightly unorthodox calls, that could sometimes throw some of the slam teams off. That they're, they're Often slam teams are kind of very used to somebody making a set of assumptions about how somebody else is going to play and make their shots. And so... Sometimes an unfamiliar opponent can pull off an upset by um, by doing something that wasn't planned, if you will. The other advantage they might have is coaching. And since 2018, knowing that they were going to be in these Olympics, China has heavily invested in coaching. In fact, they have Pea Lindholm, who used to be in charge of the Swedish program. He is now in charge of the entire uh, the entire Chinese curling program, and then the specific coach for the men's team is someone named Soren Gran. Can you explain to people who the who those two people are, Jonathan? So Pea Lindholm, well, so Pea Lindholm and, and Soren Gran. First of all, they're both Swedish. Pea Lindholm was a dominant Swedish skip back in the in the '90s and kind of won several world championships. He was kind of the Nicholas Adin of his day. Uh, Soren Gran also was a very high-level competitive curler for Sweden and then went on to become a top international coach. Uh, I think he's coached at every Olympics or been to every Olympics. I can't remember what his claim to fame is. So this will be his seventh Olympics. So he's been to every Olympics where curling's been a medal discipline. And he is known for um, basically taking over a country's program and getting a good, very good result. So kind of in 2014, he was the coach that got uh, Team GB. He was the Team GB coach, and he got them a silver medal and a bronze medal. Uh, I can't remember where he went. He went to Russia and kind of helped build up that program. He was with Italy for a while. So he's kind of moved around the world map, and wherever he goes, those countries' programs tend to rise very quickly up the rankings. Up next is Team Denmark. They will be skipped by Michael Kraus. And just like we talked about during the 
women's preview. The Danish men kind of have a reputation for punching above their weight in international curling. Uh, they were the last team to qualify for the 2022 Olympics, and they earned their berth by knocking off the Czech Republic in the final Olympic qualification event game. This team is relatively inexperienced at the international level, having only really appeared at the 2021 World Championship, where they had someone who we've actually had on the show before, uh, Mads Norgard. Uh, he placed third for this team, but he actually skipped at the 2021 Worlds, uh, and they are the lowest ranked team coming into this competition. Yeah, the... They're a long shot in this event to win it all, I'd say. But their one advantage is they're not well known to the other teams at the games because they haven't played that much on tour. Their record this season against the Olympic field isn't that great. It's one and six. So I'd say they're definitely in the dark horse category. Up next is Great Britain. And Great Britain will be represented by a Scottish team skipped by Bruce Mowat. Since making their international debut at the 2018 World Championship. Team Mowat has been steadily rising up the ranks. So far this season, they have won a European Curling Championship and a Grand Slam and finished second in another Grand Slam where they lost to Team Gushu. Honestly, this team has just been on an incredible heater for the last uh, 12 months. Uh, during the Calgary curling bubble, which was where they held a bunch of grand slams and international events and Canadian championships, uh, all within a bubble environment in Calgary back really February through May of 2021. This team won both grand slams that they played in. They finished second in worlds and Bruce won the mixed doubles worlds all in that bubble environment. And since then, this team has kind of maintained its hot streak into this season. With the skip, Bruce Mowat, he also plays in the mixed doubles event, and he initially came up through the Team GB mixed doubles program. So mixed doubles tends to be what we call a race to the forefoot. It's a lot of draws to the button. And the way you play that format is you try to set up advantageous angles to try to give yourself a shot at the, with a last stone to try and score a, a big end. Bruce has probably mastered that and brought a lot of those tactics over to the four-person game. I think he's, if, if Gushu is kind of the master of rock placement, Muit's really good at kind of setting up interesting angles and advantageous positions in the forefoot. That seems to be his style. He's really comfortable with rocks in play. Uh, he can make any shot, and um, the, that whole team is just really well put together. So they're, I'd say they're co-favorites with Gushu going into this event. The only, Basically, they've destroyed everyone this season on tour except for Gushu, who they are 0-2 against. They have beaten Gushu in the past, so they beat him at the 2018 World Championship. But um, if anyone stops this team, it's Team Moet. Sorry, it's Team Gushu. I mean, the, although they're playing so well, maybe the only team that stops them is themselves. Uh, I mean, possibly, you know. But, um, I, I mean, if it's me, I, I would I would bet very heavily on a Canada-Britain final. I think okay. it's, it's kind of setting up that way. There's one other team, I think, that might muck it up that we'll get to in a bit, but I would, I would lean that way. All right. Up next is team Italy skipped by Joel Retornez. 
the Italian men were one of three teams that got into these games at the Olympic qualification event, along with the previously mentioned Denmark. Uh, the Italian program has come a long way in the last decade and has even claimed medals at the last two European championships. So this is a team that continues to get better and better. We talked to Joel Retornez a couple of years ago, and he said one of the reasons for that is they've got the, the rest of their team, they were able to get them into kind of the sports program that the Italian military has so they can focus more on, uh, on curling. Uh, Skip Joel Retornez is also a veteran of the games. He was skipped Team Italy in 2006, and since then we've seen him gradually improve and we've seen him for 15 years now uh, and we'll see him back here at the 2022 olympics they're also probably going to pull off an upset at one point they've they've famously beat canada in 2006 uh when joel was very much an unknown uh in curling in fact they even beat the u.s in 2018 so the the two times that italy has been in the men's tournament at the olympics they've beaten the eventual gold medalists yeah, and this is not they're they're ranked 12th in the world. So they're they're a good team. They're very comfortable against every team in this field. They've played all of them lots of times. Uh they're probably not favorites, but as you said, they're a very dangerous team. Up next is Team Norway, and if you are a fan of Olympic curling and really only follow curling during the Olympics, I have some bad news for you. It's the end of an era. Uh, Tomas Ulsrud retired from curling, so you will not see the famous pants of the Norwegian curling team. Uh, Norway this time around is skipped by Stefan Wallstad. He does not wear crazy pants. They wear more a more traditional black pant. Although I don't know, maybe maybe we'll see them uh, see them don something as a uh, as a tribute to Thomas Ulsrud's team at uh, at this year's Olympics. That would be fun to see, but I kind of doubt you'll see that. I think you're going to see traditional black pants from from Norway this year. But yes, yeah, Stefan Wallstad, he's gotten a lot better in my opinion the last 12 months or so. Um, especially getting Norway into the Olympics with a strong showing at the um, at the 2021 Worlds and then uh, winning the round robin at the Olympic qualification event. Fell just short of of getting into the Olympics directly at the Worlds, but did come through the Olympic qualifier to, to get Norway into these games. Yeah, they're, again, they're kind of in the similar tier to Italy. Uh, they're 15th in the world, so a little bit lower down the rankings, but a lot of experience. Again, they'll have played everyone here been to a lot of WCF events. Um, they've posted solid results against the field, but who they struggle against are the pre-tournament favorites, so they don't do all that well against Canada, Sweden, or GB. You will recognize one of the players from this team, um, Torger Nergard. Torger is actually in his sixth Olympics, if you can believe that. So uh, if you've been watching Olympic curling, you might recognize Torger. Yeah, he's a he's kind of a perennial. Probably his last, although you never want to say never. Up next is Team Russia, and kind of one of the breakout teams of the last twelve months. This is this is a team skipped by Sergey Glukov, and Team Glukov had a very surprising run at last year's Worlds to get Russia 
into these Olympics. Team Glukov posted an 11-2 record in the round robin, including wins over Canada and Scotland. They eventually finished fourth, but demonstrated that they can beat anybody in this field. Yeah, and they followed it up this year. Um, they've done very well on their events also. Uh, the big question mark is because Russia was so kind of lowly rated in the, the WCF system at the start of this season, they actually had to play in the European B pool, which they kind of took care of pretty handily. They then had to go to the world qualification event, and they, they had to kind of run through that to qualify for the world championships. So they kind of were in this odd situation where they'd qualified for the Olympics, but not qualified for the world championship. And they've looked in very good form, very few hiccups along the way. But the one problem is because they're so far down the ranking, they haven't played much against Olympic competition this year. Their only game was a 5-4 to four loss against Team Wallstad. So while they have a lot of potential, I think the lack of big game experience against Olympic competition might be a cause for concern. But if there's a kind of a case in the carry over the form, because the Olympics is going to be a bubble and they did well in the last bubble, perhaps the bubble's their format. So they could they could certainly replicate that performance. Yeah, they're certainly playing with a lot of confidence. They There was a lineup change to this team and kind of a change in, you know, the, the structure and the support staff for this team that's allowed Sergey to, to play with a lot of confidence. And he's shown that on the ice. So they're, they're a team that, that could be like one of the surprise teams at this event. They're, they're certainly not going to be highly thought of. They're, they're definitely going to be long shots for a medal and even longer shots for a gold, but I don't know. They're, they're, they're playing with a ton of confidence. Uh, up next is Sweden, and they are one of the favorites. They are the defending silver medalists. They lost to John Schuster in the gold medal game in 2018. And like with Brad Gushu, really, Nicholas Adin could submit his legacy as one of the greatest men's players of all time if he gets his elusive Olympic gold in these games. Yeah, so he his resume is very impressive too. He won a bronze at the 2014 Olympics, a silver at 2018. So if you kind of follow that pattern, that it should be a gold this time. Uh, they've also won five world championships, including the last, was it four? 2018, 2019, 2018, 2019, 2020, and I guess 2021. 2020 was canceled. So three of the last four. Um They've been the most dominant team in international curling over the last decade. Uh, I think it's, I think it's maybe Kevin Cooley could maybe make a claim, but I think Adin's just been more consistent overall in terms of the number of big global competitions he's won in the men's game. Um, so the only thing missing from their resume is this gold medal. And if they win that, then Adin kind of enters the pantheon up there with Kevin Martin as, you know, greatest male curler of all time. And they, they haven't had a great season so far, but this team, I mean, you had a Tiger Woods analogy before um, when we were talking about mixed doubles with John Morris. This is a team that kind of, you know, they, they build their season around peaking for the biggest events. And uh, I imagine it'll be the same way here. I can't imagine this team going you know, five and four or four and five at this event. I imagine them um, peaking at the right time. 
Yeah. When we when we first started doing this podcast, that was the first time I got into like curling prognostication. I remember the first season I was like, uh, Dean's not in good form. He doesn't care. So I was like our, our first world championship preview <laughs> and he just mowed the field down. And since mm-hmm. then, because I've been watching kind of the pre, like the regular season stuff a bit more closely, uh, I've just observed that this is their pattern. They, they're probably tweaking and working on things. Perhaps they're not as motivated, but whenever the big events are on, that's when they show up to play and they are just absolute killers in those events. All right. Up next is Switzerland and they are skipped by Peter de Cruz. Team de Cruz has maybe the most unconventional lineup among the elite men's teams. Uh, de Cruz actually throws second stones uh, while third rock throwers, Finn Michel uh, focuses on sweeping when he's not throwing. And then last thrower Benoit Schwartz is famous for making spectacular clutch shots uh, as a unit. They have consistently finished third in major international competitions, winning bronze at Pyeongchang in 2018 and then bronze medals at the 2017, 19, and 21 World Championships. Yeah, and so if Schwartz is on, he can pull off crazy shots. He is, mm-hmm. he's got amazing touch. Like, like he can draw to a spot, any spot, not just the pin. Uh, and he's got ice in his veins. And then he can also throw as hard as anyone on tour. He's he's a bit svelte, but he's don't don't mistake that for like not having the power. Uh, they have posted an impressive 10 and six record against the Olympic field so far this season, including two wins each against Adin and Mowat. So they can definitely break up what I call the big three. Yeah. Benoit's not fair. He's, he's a cheat code, uh, and he can get his team, uh, out of trouble. However, they did miss playoffs at Euros. Is this another instance where you've got a team that's singularly focused on on winning this event? I mean, this team was basically put together. They brought Sven Michel into into the team from his own team uh, for the express purpose of winning the Olympics. Is this another case where you know they're singularly focused on winning the Olympics? So the one big thing is they keep hitting a ceiling at. When it comes to like gold medal games, they they get to the semifinals and then they they often do well in the bronze games because they're always winning bronze, but they have never really punched through. And so for me, the question is, is this the place where they do it? You know, so the, the arguments that given how strong this field is, is probably not. But another team that it was had won a couple of bronze medals heading into the previous Olympics that punched through is John Schuster, right? So Certainly possible. If I wouldn't say it'd be a shock if they won a gold medal, but they're I'd put them at a tier below uh, Adine Schuster and Adine uh, Adine Gushu and Mowat. Okay, up next is the United States, and they will once again be skipped by John Schuster. This is his fourth straight Olympics as a skip, and his fifth straight Olympics overall. And of course. Last time we saw them at an Olympics, they won gold, beating Sweden's Nicholas Adin in the final. So the pressure is off. We have chronicled uh, Team Schuster's history. In fact, we did a two-hour episode chronicling that history back in March of, of 2020. And with that gold medal, uh, the pressure is off. Yeah, and they've been a bit more relaxed this cycle, I'd say, right? They're, I think they're enjoying their Olympic victory tour. And 
they're certainly they're certainly capable of beating anyone in this field also they're very comfortable uh, but they haven't been posting the kind of really sharp results that some of the other teams at the top of the table have, uh, which kind of perhaps is a, a bit of pause for putting them up in that tier. Yeah, and they played a decent number of events the first year coming off winning gold, and I think a lot of that was probably to get uh, their new third, Chris Plies, into the rotation. And then it seemed like they kind of eased off in terms of number of events uh, the year after. Um, And you could tell that maybe they were getting ready to ramp up again for the Olympic run. However, then the pandemic happened and that closed the border between the U S and Canada. And so for the last two years, this team hasn't had a chance to get that many games against elite level competition. And that's really what served them well going into 2018 was Going into the Pyeongchang games, they really got on tour a lot, got into Grand Slams, played a lot of high-level competition. Now, the difference is they've already done that. They've already they, they've played against the best. They know what the tendencies are against these teams. They've got a lot of games under their belt against them. However, going into this Olympics, does it give you a little bit of a pause that you know maybe they haven't been able to get on tour as much coming into these Olympics because of the border closure? Maybe, but I think that's the case for a lot of teams. I think I think something crazy will happen though, because I think something crazy always happens to Team Schuster. Like they were <laughs> caught up in the, they were caught up in uh, whatever COVID test gate <laughs> at yeah. the at the bubble, right? Remember all that tr- controversy being out or in? Uh, they got caught up in a controversy about burned rocks with Japan four or five years ago. I feel like I don't want to say trouble, but just like controversy follows John Schuster around. He's kind of like the team's kind of larger than life, certainly for curling. And so I expect if, even if they're not a favorite to win the gold medal, I expect there's going to be some big story about team Schuster out of the Olympics, <laughs> good or bad. Who knows? Who knows? It's a, they never, uh, they're never boring. And that's one of the reasons that I just absolutely love them. Yeah. They're never boring. They play a very aggressive style. John is, the most aggressive skip I'd say here. And that leads to, um, that can lead to big scores for them. That can also lead to spectacular crashes and burns, I think. So um, it can go either way. Uh, what was that game he played against Pat Simmons at like the world championship? Uh, it was something like 10, 10, eight or 10. It was like, you know, they'd score a three, give up a four. It was like that kind of a game. Um, and they're certainly capable of having games like that. So I think they'll be fun to watch for sure. Yeah, there's one thing during a Team Schuster game is at some point during the game, they will have a shot to score a lot of points. And at some point, their opponent will have a shot to score a lot of points. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Enjoy the men's tournament. Enjoy all of the curling at the 2022 Beijing Olympics. If you're new to this game, please check out our Welcome to Curling series where we kind of decode what you'll hear from the players and what you'll see in terms of strategy. And we kind of break the game down very, hopefully very simply and easy to understand for people who are just discovering this great sport of ours. So please feel free to check that out. And uh, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you for listening to rocks across the pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. 
You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.